Even the color of black has its place in the Christmas fantasy. Black. Black as coal. Black as the robe that conceals a midnight prowler. Black as the mirror sheen of black enamel. Black as the midnight sky above Bethlehem. But before we explore the trail of the black note of legend, lore, and poetry that is woven into the fantasy of Christmas, let's do a little Christmas budgeting in factual black and white with a big assist from this friend of ours. Even black has its place in our Christmas fantasy. Martin Wilkins had lived on Maple Street almost all of his life, and he resisted mightily his wife Ida's efforts to make him move to a better neighborhood. It was true the city had changed through the years. It was true that many of the houses along Maple Street were losing their value and their pride. But they were filling up with a noise and life and laughter as struggling young families moved into houses that had been quiet and sedate. And Martin liked it. Most of all, Martin liked little chubby Jamie Chavez and his beanpole older brother Jose. Perhaps because, unlike the other kids up and down the block who were so busy with their own affairs, Jose and his brother haunted Martin's garage and workshop and admired his wood carvings mightily. Or perhaps because he felt they found little friendship anywhere else. Anyway, he liked them. And when, a few weeks before Christmas, they came in the garage door and asked, Senor Wilkins, we want to make something for Christmas, we think. But we got nobody to help us, unless maybe you help us. Well, sure, what is it? Martin agreed. A pig, Jamie exclaimed. A pig big as me, fat as me, too, and he laughed. It's more better it shouldn't be too big, Jose cautioned. Make it a little pig, a little black, shiny pig. Well, this was a new one. A pig for Christmas? Martin needed some explanation and got a lot of it. The pig should be made hollow of clay and paper, and it should be decorated within an inch of its life. Like the piñata pigs of Mexico that served instead of Christmas trees, Martin got the idea, and it was a challenge, 
and a fat pig was a subject he'd never tackled. And finally, a week before Christmas, the pig was finished. Proudly, the Chavez brothers started home with it. And just at the end of the driveway, they met Butch Randall, the biggest, roughest kid on the block. Ha! He shouted, a pig. He looked at it critically. It's a lousy pig. I ought to bust it right in the snout. Butch shouldn't have said it. He shouldn't have swung his fist either. The brothers swarmed all over him and left him on the curb with a darkening eye and a bruised rib while they went happily home singing all the way. Ida Wilkins mopped the dirt and tears off Butch's face and said grimly, little roughnecks. Martin disagreed mildly. Butch had it coming, didn't you, Butch? And reluctantly, Butch nodded. But Ida, once Butch was gone, went on in a determined tone. That settles it. We're moving before these little ruffians grow into big ones. And she wasted no time. She called realtors. She looked at houses, even though Christmas was now only days away. And she found, as she told Martin, just the house. It was on the other side of town, and the real estate man would show it to them on Christmas Day. Martin dreaded the prospect, but at least Christmas morning was bright, sunshine on the snow, and down at the Chavez house, all kinds of excitement. The black pig hung now with fantastic flowers and glittering tinsel fringe, was swinging high from the old stone gatepost, and kids were shouting all around it, all the kids in the block except Butch Randall, who for once was not the ringleader. He stood across the street like an exile. And then the shouting kids began throwing stones at the pig. Martin was alarmed until he heard Jamie shout, Throw a bigger one! And Jose yelled across the street, Hey, Butch, here's a stick. Now you can bust our pig on the snout. But Butch came over doubtfully. And the long stick swung, and weeks of Martin's time and labor shattered to bits. Out of the broken pig poured a cascade of gay packages and candy for the kids to scramble after. And Ida, standing just behind Martin, said wonderingly, What a strange custom, but what a happy one. And then she added thoughtfully, You know, Martin, I think I'll call that real estate man and tell him not to bother about that house after all. And Martin, wonderfully content, strolled down the street, picked up a shattered bit of a black clay painted pink inside was the little pig's ear. Well, he told that ear confidentially, you may not have been a work of art, but you certainly are a work of the heart.
Now, speaking of good fun and good fortune, you needn't have a clay pig to find that there's good fortune in store for you this Yuletide. You'll get a straightforward forecast for good luck, shopping-wise, from this friend of ours. are frosty against the sky, and the north wind whistles shrill. The snow is blowing against the house and drifting across the hill. And away up north, the reindeer team is harnessed and eager for flight. And the sleigh is loaded with lovely toys, for Santa Claus comes tonight. Now he is ready, the little team leaps into the northern sky. Lighter than any wind that blows, gracious how fast they fly. The gay sweet bells on Santa's sleigh play a merry tinkling tune. And Santa laughs as his little team wins a race with the man in the moon. And faster than ever they're coming now, down the slippery milky way. They have to return to their home, you know. At the dawn of Christmas Day, and Santa has many a mile to go, and many a task to do, for he must visit Bobby and Tom and Carol and Jane and Sue. Hush, I think I hear the sleigh bells, hear the patter of a hoof, hear old Santa's cheery chuckle as he walks across our roof, and he'll come sliding down the chimney, for he doesn't mind the fire. And in the pack upon his back, he'll have your heart's desire. Oh, eager, restless little girl, now hurry into bed and draw the blankets tight and warm above your curly head. Ah, oh, close your eyes, you funny child. Now don't you hear him creep? Santa never visits little ones who aren't fast asleep. The gold of grain can forecast a year's fortune, good or bad, at Christmas time, or at least an old custom observed in southern France assumed that it would. Weeks before Christmas, it was the custom to fill a shallow bowl with sand and in it plant twelve wheat seeds. Sprouted by Christmas, the graceful new plants make a centerpiece for the Christmas table, and each sprout represents one of the twelve months of the year. According to whether it has grown tall and sturdy, 
or whether it is stunted or failed to sprout at all, the fortunes of each month in the coming year are then decided. Christmas legends, Christmas stories are mixed of equal parts of fact and fancy, told so often that everybody knows them, and therein lies their charm. Like the story of a young man in black, he was a life-of-the-party kind of a lad until in his early manhood he became suddenly serious and solemn, and he looked about him and found that the world was not all laughter, that many who lived near him were often hungry, often miserable. And he resolved to devote the rest of his life to his fellow man and to God. And we'll get to that story in just a moment. After this word from the brighter side of Christmas, from a friend of ours. to the story of a young man in black, a life of the party kind of a lad until in his early manhood he became suddenly serious and solemn. This then is his story, fact, fantasy, legend, and lore on Christmas fantasy. the matter of his own wealth. He'd need it no longer, and he wished to distribute it where it would do the most good. And as he was wondering just what to do, he heard of old Peter and his problem. Just the thing, decided Nicky, with a flash of his old mischief in his eyes. And that night, clad in a cloak black as the night itself, 
a furtive prowler approached the thatched cottage where old Peter lived with his three daughters. Though what a prowler could expect to gain there, it was hard to say. Only this prowler came not to steal, but to give. And up on the rooftop he went, with cautious feet searching through the thatch for a firm footing on the rafters. Finally, he reached the cold chimney, and down it dropped a leather bag that plummeted down to the hearth with a solid thud. The next morning, there was wild rejoicing in Peter's cottage. The gold would be a dowry for his eldest daughter, Maria, and her young man, too poor to buy even an acre of ground and a cow, could now be married. The next night, the miracle was repeated, and the third night, old Peter, hardly daring to believe it could happen, stayed up to see if the unknown visitor would leave a dowry for his youngest daughter as well. At midnight, he saw the slim shape move swiftly and silently from shadow to shadow, with a black cape blowing in the night wind and seeming to melt into the darkness. Sure enough, the furtive prowler clambered up the roof, and down the chimney with a solid chunk on the hearth came a bag of gold. When the prowler, grinning to himself, slid gaily down the thatched roof, old Peter, in wrapped and stocking nightcap, was there to meet him. Well, he exclaimed, so surprised that he didn't guard his speech, if it isn't that mischievous scalawag young Nicholas from the castle. Nicky, just as surprised, cautioned the old man with finger on lips. Shh, you needn't tell everyone. The old man would not be silenced. He assured Nicky that in time, his name would be blessed for his goodness among all the saints. But when Nicky swore him to a pledge of secrecy, the old man promised never, as long as he lived, to tell where he got the golden dowry for his three daughters. But he must have told. For how otherwise would we know the story of young St. Nicholas and his three bags of gold and the three dowerless maidens and the birth of someone we know today as good old Saint Nick.
first St. Nicholas of days gone by, our jolly old St. Nick of today. For the ever-old and ever-new problem that Christmas brings with it is the old puzzle of matching up names and gifts. But you'll find some easy solutions of this friend of ours. shiny new red wagon underneath our Christmas tree. I know because I peeked and saw it there. And the minutes between now and early morning Christmas day will seem like hours I can hardly bear. I know just how it's sitting with its gleaming silver hubs. I know by heart its hue and shape and size, and the name spelled out in sparkling white along its glossy side keeps dancing up and down before my eyes. I can even smell the newness of its solid rubber tires, and the paint that hasn't yet been scarred or scratched I can almost feel this smooth black handle tightly in my grip as I'll guide it soon, its streamlined speed unmatched. Dear Lord, if I did wrong to take a peek ahead of time at something that I wasn't meant to see, then punish me, but please, I pray, let nothing hurt nor harm the wagon underneath the Christmas tree. All the world around, Santa Claus or St. Nicholas, as you prefer, is a jolly, fat little man dressed all in scarlet. But just a few generations back, that wasn't true. In great-great-grandmother's day, the children in the Netherlands expected a tall, thin, and mildly grim St. Nicholas, clad in priestly black who arrived carrying switches that could be used to administer the proper reward to bad little boys and girls. But he mixed justice with forgiveness and brought along two sweets and candies to dry up the tears. That's a far cry from the jolly and generous St. Nicholas of today, but a part of the pattern woven in black within the fantasy Christmas. Part of the pattern is literally black as coal. On today's Christmas fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> 